Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Trial by Podcast. I'm Andrew Gavea, a law graduate at McCabe Kerwood, and on today's podcast, I'll be discussing the legal issues associated with mining in space. Superstar astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson in an interview once said that the first trillionaire would be the person who can exploit the natural resources on asteroids, and he's definitely not wrong. According to estimates, one of the most valuable near-Earth asteroids, known as Davida, is worth over $100 trillion, or specifically, $27 quintillion. To put that in perspective, the total global economy is worth roughly $80 trillion. However, while mining near-Earth asteroids appears lucrative, it's a very expensive endeavour and still poses significant technical challenges. It's estimated that the cost of mining a 500-ton asteroid and bringing the resources back to Earth would be around $2.6 billion. This is excluding the initial investment in infrastructure to even be able to extract the resources. Additionally, while $2.6 billion may seem relatively inexpensive in the grand scheme of things, the investment itself still carries major risks, since the likelihood of success is still relatively small. Also, these asteroids are rich in rare resources, like platinum, iron and nickel which like most precious metals, source their value from their scarcity. So, what would happen to their value if they were suddenly available in abundance? Would it even be worth bringing so much back? These are just some of the commercial and logistical issues associated with mining resources in space and transporting them back to Earth. The alternative, and perhaps more realistic opportunities for mining in space, is what is known as in-situ resource utilisation. This refers to the practice of collecting, processing, storing and using materials found or manufactured on other astronomical objects, rather than transporting materials from Earth. This process has massive implications for places like the Moon, because it is said to have major stores of water ice. As you likely already know, water is made up of two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. But what you may not know is that hydrogen is a main element of rocket fuel. So the idea is that companies would mine the moon for water ice, convert it into fuel, and then operate space fueling stations on the moon or close to the Earth. Visiting ships in space would then be able to refill at these stations, enabling them to explore further into space. A very lucrative monopoly. But here's where much of the contention has arisen, and where we get into the legal aspects of space mining. The question is, what right does a private company or even a country have to set up on the moon or a near-Earth asteroid and mine its resources? Can they claim ownership over resources that are technically in the global commons, accessible to all? Can anyone legally own them? To make things simple, we need to address the obvious question. Is space mining legal or not? To begin answering that question, we have to consider the current international law that already exists and governs space. And if anyone is wondering whether, since space law exists, could that mean space police exists as well? The short answer is a sad no. In fact, the key pieces of international space law rely on cooperative efforts to regulate the use of space. However, as of recently, these international laws are now being sidestepped in favour of domestic laws which encourage the commercialisation of space, but more on that in a moment. First, 
let's get an understanding of the international legal framework governing space. The two key international pieces of law which govern the use of space are the Outer Space Treaty and the Moon Treaty. The Outer Space Treaty is considered the Magna Carta of space law and has been ratified by 109 countries including Australia. The Moon Treaty on the other hand has only been ratified by 18 countries, none of which engage in self-launched human spaceflight and so it is said to have relatively little relevance and application. Now, the Outer Space Treaty emerged in 1967 during the Cold War, as fears grew that either the US or Soviet Union would use space to launch nuclear weapons. As a result of its context, the document is drafted in a way that supports a global common nature of outer space, one that is meant to be shared. Article 1 of the treaty provides that states are free to explore and use outer space to access all celestial bodies on the basis of equality and in accordance with international law. Article 4 provides that nuclear weapons are strictly prohibited, and outer space can only be used for exclusively peaceful purposes. And although the Outer Space Treaty does not explicitly mention mining activities, under Article 2, other celestial bodies are not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, through use, occupation, or any other means. This might be interpreted to mean that the mining of resources in space could be in violation of international law, since the resources of the celestial body are in a sense being appropriated. However, that's not the end of the story. The notion of appropriation by claim of sovereignty has been the subject of much deliberation and is what some would call the loophole of the treaty. This is because of what countries like the US and oddly Luxembourg have done. That is, in both countries, domestic legislation has been established which grants authorization to companies to claim exclusive ownership over extracted resources, but not the asteroid itself. Therefore, they argue that since no nation is asserting rights over any area of outer space, and is instead just a private company claiming rights over undiscovered resources, the national appropriation by claim of sovereignty is not being violated. The US Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act 2015 does this by including a disclaimer which states that the Act does not assert sovereignty or exclusive rights over any celestial body. So by not claiming sovereignty, their position is that they are not violating international law. In April 2020, President Donald Trump in an executive order went so far as to say, and I quote, Americans should have the right to engage in commercial exploration recovery and use of resources in outer space, consistent with the applicable law. Outer space is a legally and physically unique domain of human activity, and the United States does not view it as a global commons. Accordingly, it shall be the policy of the United States to encourage international support for the public and private recovery and use of resources in outer space, consistent with applicable law. Now, whether or not the position taken by the US and Luxembourg that mining in space by countries, private companies or citizens is permitted under the Outer Space Treaty is correct, it is a question that remains unresolved. Frankly, it is unlikely to be resolved until someone actually attempts it. But until then, the question of whether space mining is legal or not remains a theoretical discussion. But with so much money at stake, I'm certain it will turn practical in the near future. So with that being said, that brings us to the end of another episode of Trial by Podcast with me, Andrew Gavea.
please leave a like or comment. And if you have any questions on this topic, feel free to reach out to me or the firm at mccabecurwood.com.au. 